This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for December 23rd, 2012. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. The message is by Father Ron Baird. I was just thinking about the Magnificat, which is the title of that. And um, in the um, right one version, or the original version, that goes all the way back to 1662, um, there's an interesting word in it. I just have to find it here. Let's see. There we go. Should be on page, um, can't read that. 119 maybe, 109, 119. This is where it is, but I think it's in there that way. But the word was, um, we, we said he has helped and the word was hoping which is always fascinating, hoping. We just don't talk like that anymore, so I'm messing about that. I'm a little discombobulated today. The, um, um, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we've been talking about the themes for each week. Um, the first Sunday, which is the bottom right, was the theme of hope, and where we hope for the coming of Christ and the second coming. Um, those of us who were hoping it was going to be last Friday, apparently it didn't happen. So we're still here. I had a couple of interesting things I read. One um, said that, I remember, might have been somebody here um, wrote that that the um, afterlife, the Mayan afterlife, looked remarkably like their everyday life, <laughs> um, which is probably true. Um, and then a friend of mine from Kentucky uh, wrote in there something more interesting. I, I've known this guy since I was six, and um, he wrote in there, he, he said, I'm from Kentucky, so I need to ask this. It's on Facebook. He said, did the world end yesterday. And uh, he said, the reason why I ask is, uh, quoting Mark Twain, he said, if the world comes to an end, Mark Twain said, I want to live in Kentucky because nothing happens there until 20 years after it's happened everywhere else. So, and having come from Kentucky, I can say that. So, um, But we hope for the coming of Christ in his second coming. The second candle was the candle of expect or preparation where we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. We learn how to relate to him. So we learn how to live in his kingdom, you know, how to do those things. The third candle, which is the Gaudette candle, um, is the candle of joy, where we, um, because when we hope for the coming of the kingdom of God and we prepare ourselves for the coming of the kingdom of God, one of the things that we start to notice is little glimpses of that kingdom breaking in around us. Not, not the full thing, you know, but, but there are moments where we can see what it's like and that brings us joy that sustains us. And then the, the fourth candle that's in the back on the back right is the candle of faith. Now, faith is a, a difficult thing today because the church has so co-opted the word that I don't know that people really know what that means much anymore. But the word faith, we tend to think of it as a religious connotation. It's churchy. I think a better translation of the Greek word, which is pistis, would be trust. Trust. Because that's what faith is really about. It's about trusting. 
And we do know how to trust in things. But if we hope for something and we prepare for it and we see glimpses of it, those glimpses that bring us the joy help us to reinforce the fact that we can trust in the coming of the kingdom of God, that we can trust that God is true to his promises and will actually do the things that he says he's going to do, even in the face of times when those things aren't happening because we know they've not come in their fullness. And we know what trust is like. How many of you got up this morning and were worried about floating into the air? Anybody? Just Matt. Um, We trust gravity, don't we? See, trust isn't something you really give a lot of thought to. It's just a natural response to something. And it's not something that can be scientifically validated in any way. It's just something that you do. I was listening to uh, some astronauts with the anniversary of the moon landing. One of them was talking about what it was like to sleep in zero G. And they said it was really strange because your arms and legs have a tendency when you're, when you're in zero G and you're sleeping, they float up into the air like this. So you can sort of imagine, you know, you've got the legs up in the air and the hand, arms up in the air because we're accustomed to gravity pulling them down. And so when you're asleep and you're not controlling anymore, your muscles just naturally pull them up um, to fight against the gravity. We sort of look like, you know, our dogs that are rolled over on their back. But, um, and he said it was really awkward. And a lot of them said they couldn't sleep because it felt like you were falling all the time, even though you weren't. It just, you know, it felt like you, because you were moving, but it felt like, you know, there should be gravity and you should fall at any moment. And so they would take, you know, sleeping pills sometimes at night because they just couldn't sleep um, when the time came. So trust is something that we just naturally do. And it's hard to go against it when you trust it. Even if, if the circumstances might suggest otherwise, you tend to revert back to that that you trust. You know, most people know what that's like. I mean, most of the time when we get up in the morning and we go out and start our car, we expect that it's going to start. You know, how many people get up in the morning and think, my car's not going to start? I know it's not going to start. I mean, we probably wouldn't do that, would we? And so we know what that's like to, to just innately trust in things. Sometimes people struggle with trust, too, because, you know, people say, well, how do you know that you can trust what God tells you? How do you know that God will come again? How do you know that Jesus will return? He said so. They said, well, what if he was lying? How do you, can you prove that? See, that's hard, isn't it? But if you think about it, if somebody said, why do you trust your spouse? (laughs) At 8 o'clock, somebody said, because she said so. I mean, it's not something that you can just earn trust. You really can't earn trust. But on the other hand, it's also something that can be validated along the way that makes the trust more secure. And there are some times when, you know, we let one another down and the trust is weakened and we're less sure about it. We have to, you know, deal with that and work through that. But trust isn't something that you, you measure you know, it's like, how much do you trust somebody? You know, is that enough or you know, is that enough? I mean, how much, how much should you trust someone? Trust is really nothing more than an assurance of what behavior you expect to follow. 
You know, one of the things that Judy and I don't do ever is we don't speak for one another unless we already know what the other person was going to say anyway. So if somebody asks us something and I'm not sure what she would do, I'd say, you're going to have to ask Judy. I haven't got a clue. Because I, there are some things that I could tell you, in which case I'd say, you're going to have to ask Judy and I want to watch. Um, <laughs> That should be fun. <laughs> but, you know, when trust is something that you just do. And things can happen that, that erode trust, but to earn trust back, that doesn't really happen. You don't earn it back. The person may choose over a period of time to start trusting again, but it's not something that you can coerce or you can, you know, fulfill a certain number of requirements that, okay, now I've done all these things, so now I'm trustworthy again. And so trust is something that we just do. And when we say that we hope that God is going to bring his kingdom in its fullness, what we're really saying is that we believe that the world, the way that it is, is not done. You know, God didn't create and go, wow, that's exactly the way it's always going to be. That it's a work in progress. And that when he does bring the world to its completion, that it will be perfect. And that evil and pain and suffering, all those things will go away. You know, they'll be gone. And the only real question is, is whether or not we want to hope in that coming. And if we do hope in that coming, we prepare ourselves for it. And we joy in the moments, the glimpses that we get of it happening. I knew it. It's going to be like that. And we have those, those seconds sometimes, sometimes a nice day. I don't know many people have had more than a day of it. But, but we have those times when we try, and those reaffirm our ability to trust that God means what he says and that we, we can trust him, that if he said it, that that will happen. Now, St. Paul put it this way in, in his um, epistles. He said, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the belief in things that are yet unseen, the assurance of things that are hoped for. Isn't that a great saying? How can you be assured of something that you're hoping for? I mean, if I'm hoping for a Cadillac for Christmas, what would it be like for me to be assured of it and to believe it even though it's yet unseen? What would I be doing now? Well, that's true, but <laughs> put my faith in worldly things. But I'd, I'd sell my car, wouldn't I? Because I don't need two of them, so I'd get rid of the other one. Because I'd be assured that that was going to happen. That's what assurance is like. It's, it's absolute confidence that something is going to come into being. And what we do in the world all too often is we put our trust in worldly things. We put our trust in a job. Or we put our trust in a person or an institution, and they end up letting us down, which really shouldn't surprise us too much because they also are part of the fallenness of creation. But what can we trust in then? And many people say, well, if you can't trust in those things, and sometimes we can't even trust our family. You know, many of us came from families that weren't trustworthy. And when my mother drank, she wasn't trustworthy, I can assure you. And so what do you do when you grow up feeling that the world is not a trustworthy place? 
Well, you have to find something. Otherwise, life is just transient. Too many times we put that trust in things of this world. Like if I work hard and do well in school, I get a good job and, and I'll you know, rise in my employment and I'll make good money and people will respect me and honor me. But the problem with those things is that they rarely do they last. I mean, anybody here remember when Jim Trestle won the national championship? I mean, everybody trusted him completely, right? He could do no wrong. One scandal comes along, and what do they say? Out. <laughs> That's what worldly trust is like. And it doesn't even matter if it's fair or not. It's not something you can depend upon. It's transitory. Or you might have a great boss and a great job, and they're really good to you, and they, you know, you make sure you get promotions and pay increases and all that. And, and then something happens, and they go to another company, or they retire or something, and you get a new boss. Is there a guarantee the new boss will be that way? Not at all. And it all could change, couldn't it? But when we hope in the kingdom of God... That's different because we're hoping for things that are, um, we're hoping in things that are yet unseen, that we don't know what it's going to be like. And you see that sometimes when people are dying. I can remember my dad was diagnosed with esophageal cancer about 13, 14 months before he died. They gave him a year to live. And I was amazed at, I asked him, how are you doing with all this? He said, I'm all right. I'm thinking, how do you be all right with that? You know, they tell you you got 13 or 14 months to live. He said, well, you know, I, I know it'll be okay. You know, it's going to be hard going through it, but it's going to be hard once I get through it on the other side. I'll be, you know, it'll be all right. And I said, well, what do you think it's going to be like on the other side, Dad? And he goes, how would I know? <laughs> he said, I don't have a clue what it's going to be like. It's a great thing about growing up in, in blue-collar working-class families, you know, cut through all the, the nice theological talk. And, how would I know? <laughs> He said, but it'll be good. The Lord's gotten me this far, and I believe he'll take care of me then too. That's trust. I've also run into people who were dying who, who didn't have trust. Sometimes they were people who have been Christians all their life, but they were terrified of dying because they said, what if it's not true? What if when you're dead, you're dead? What if that's it? Now, my real response was, well, if that was it, it wouldn't matter because you wouldn't know it then. But uh, <laughs> I don't think that would have been comforting to them, particularly. But, um, but how do you know? You, you, you don't know in the world's way of knowing. You're assured. And you're assured only because of one reason. You know what that is? Because you do what? Trust. You know, how do I know that I can trust my wife? I know I can trust my wife because I decided to. That's what it meant when I got married to her. How do I know I can trust my son? I know because I committed to him, to trust him. It's a big deal to commit to trust. Sometimes we commit to trust too easily in people. Sometimes we're totally afraid of it. But ultimately, you really have to make a choice about whether or not you believe that Jesus is coming back, whether or not you believe that the world is going to come to a perfect ending where all of us will live forever in bliss. 
exactly the way God created it to be. And if you do believe in that, if you hope in that, then you need to prepare and joy in the moments that you see it and trust that even in the darkest of moments, when it seems impossible, that you can still trust in it. Example, some of you may know Randy and Linda Smith who go to 930. Some of you may not know them. Um, Linda was diagnosed in August with stage 3 colorectal cancer. Now, those of you who aren't medically inclined, that's bad. Um, the lower the stage, there's only four stages, the lower the better. That's not a good diagnosis by any stretch of the imagination. She underwent intensive chemo and intensive radiation therapy uh, for this over several months. And she went to her doctor last week, and the doctor, they did a scan, checking for markers and everything, and he declared her cancer-free. That's only in, what, four months? That's amazing. That's incredible. Now, does that mean that it can't come back? No, I mean, it could, so they'll keep watching for it. But for someone in stage 3 cancer, that's a great outcome. She didn't even have to have surgery to deal with it. That's just incredible. And why did this happen to her and not to other people? I don't know. I can only trust that God in his infinite wisdom knows which things he can do and which things are best to do and which aren't. Because there's really no explanation for why this person dies and this person lives. I remember when my mother, who went into a hepatic coma, from um, she, her liver had failed up to 95%. I mean, you could literally feel the back of her back, and it felt like there was a boulder sticking out of her back from the, the liver having hardened so much from cirrhosis. And the, she was in a hepatic coma which means that your liver will no longer filter the toxins anymore. And she was curled up in a fetal position and, and gnawing. And the doctor suggested to us that we uh, put a do not resuscitate on her because they said even if she survives, she will be this way for the rest of her life. And it would be horrible. And so we did. Next day was Thanksgiving Day. I walked into the room first with the rest of my family. And as I walked in, my mother opened her eyes and I said, Mom? And she said, Ronnie? <laughs> so I said, I'll be right back. So I went out and, and got there. I said, how long has my mom been awake? Oh, your mom's not awake. I said, no, really, she's awake. She can't be awake. I said, I'm telling you, she's awake. <laughs> so they come in and, look, and the nurse goes, I'm telling you, there's just really no way. She walks in and goes, oh, my goodness, let me call the doctor. <laughs> So she gets the doctor on the phone. The doctor says, um, um, well, you know, I need to tell you that this is probably temporary. She will go back into the coma and, and, and you know, we'll be back to where we were. It's not going to last very long. Enjoy it now because she'll go back into this coma before she dies. And, and then the amazing thing happened was that two weeks later she went home from the hospital. Never drank again. Recovered enough liver function that she was never jaundiced again. And she was never yellow from it. And I remember her asking me, why would God heal me? Because I didn't even believe in him. You know, I, I never went to church. I didn't even like church, which was true, by the way. When I was ordained to the diaconate, my mother went to uh, the ordination 
insisting, although I would have been happy if she hadn't, and then sat in the, she was drunk, of course, and sat in the reception crying, her bawling her tears out that God had stolen her baby. And I was like, oh, jeez. And I had four incredible years with her, I mean, five incredible years with her after she came out of that coma. And I said, I don't know why, Mom. I just know that I trust the one who did it. When I was, I preached about it the following Sunday in the church I was serving in at the time. I was a deacon, and um, I got up and preached about this incredible thing that happened. And all these people would come up to me at coffee hour and go, boy, if I'm ever dying, I want you to pray for me. I said, no, you don't want me praying for you. And they said, well, why not? And I said, well, I was praying to God take her quick. I mean, (laughs) you better get somebody else because... You know, I didn't like seeing her that way, so I wanted her to be able to go quickly. I think they probably wouldn't want me praying for him now. But the only thing that, that, that we can do in the midst of all of those unexplained things about why sometimes good things happen and sometimes good things don't happen is we can choose whether or not we want to trust. We can choose whether or not we want to be assured of things that we have yet to see. Whether or not we believe that Jesus means what he says and he'll actually do it. And if we choose to do that, we will live our lives very differently. Just like when you choose to believe that gravity works, you live your life very differently than you would if you didn't. You know, the first thing you would do when you woke up in the morning, if you didn't believe gravity was always going to work, is you grab something <laughs> and it stabilize you. Well, oftentimes that's the way we live our lives. We grab hold of, you know, jobs or relationships or all kinds of things to try to stabilize it. But we could choose to trust. Because when we choose to trust, we will not be disappointed. Because God is faithful. And he does follow through. That's what those glimpses are about. And ultimately, if we choose to move into that faith, we move to the fifth candle which is the one in the middle. If you want to know what that one's about, you have to come tomorrow night. Amen. (laughs) You were just listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.